Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Church, if I don't know you, my name's Dave. Um, and I've got the privilege of talking today. Uh, Pastor Jono asked me to preach on, well, he kind of gave me two topics, and he said, tie these together. And uh, I said, okay, thanks, Jono. Uh, he's asked me to, Jono's asked me to preach on uh, the idea of covenant and also to tie it in with the Treaty of Waitangi because it being Waitangi Day on Tuesday. So I'm, I'm both honored and slightly worried uh, because I think he's trusting me to delicately say some mildly provocative things. Hopefully true things, which uh, he's not brave enough to say. Uh, <laughs> and, if I, and if I offend anyone, he can say, yeah, yeah, you know, Dave's a great guy, but we don't, that doesn't necessarily represent what the church believes or what I would believe. And, you know, so, uh, so he's just hanging me out to dry. But no, no, that is smart. Like, kudos to, to Jono, but I've blown his cover now. So... Uh, <laughs> No, no, I, I am actually honoured <laughs> now that I've just undermined that, but I, I am, I, I am honoured to, um, to speak on this. And, um, and I'm very aware, um, I am going to talk a little bit about um, Te Tiriti o, o Waitangi, and, but I don't want to make this a history lecture because I realise this is church, um, so I want to focus more on the biblical idea of covenant, and a lot of you might go, what, what is that? Well, I'm glad you're asking because um, we, will, we will cover that. But I also want to recognize that when I, when I am talking about the treaty, it's a contentious issue, especially at the moment. Um, yeah, I was just talking to someone before, and, and their, their partner is heading up to Waitangi to join. There's a, like a big protest, 50,000 people gathering uh, around it. So it's a contentious issue in Aotearoa, and I, I don't want to presume to use this pulpit to tell you how to think about the Treaty of Waitangi, because um, I realize that I won't look at it objectively, none of us do. We all have our own lens. Um, I am a middle-class Christian Pākehā uh, male, so I have a lens through which I look at things, um, and you will too. So um, having said that, I, I, I do want to provoke you to think about it. I do want to provoke you to, to wrestle with it because it is important um, for us as New Zealanders. So um, I think we can't just ignore it we have to wrestle with it ourselves. So, um, and I can, get, I can point you in the direction of some good resources if you'd like. Um, a lot of what I'm talking about, I've, uh, I've drawn from a great article about the Treaty of, uh, and, the and the Idea of Covenant by a guy called Hamish McLean and a great book called um, Who Are You Come Home by uh, Jay Rooker. So if you want to know more about those, I can, I can um, point you in, those, in that direction. But to start off with, we're going to look at this idea of covenant. What what even is covenant? Like, it's quite a Christian-easy kind of word. Um, and perhaps if you deal in land or real estate, you will have heard of covenant um, because, you know, you might think, oh, you, you can't um, build on that part of that land because there's a covenant on it um, and you can't put whatever, a drain through there or something. But um, maybe maybe that's, you know, you, you've, you've heard it in that context. It kind of has come to be known in, in the world as kind of an, an agreement. A covenant is agreement or a, or a contract. But to simply equate covenant with contract in, in Christian um, context is, is really dangerous. It's, it's wrong because there's a massive difference, and that's what we'll get into today, between this idea of covenant and contract. Now, contracts, they have their place, right? Um, 
But I think too often we live as a people under this idea of contract when actually God calls us to live under covenant. Um, so, And we'll get into the difference of those. But just to give you an idea of what I mean by living under contract, how many of you over the holiday periods period have um, bought or sold something on TradeMe or, or fi- Facebook Marketplace? Show of hands. Oh, come on, come on, be honest. How many of you? Yeah, yeah, there's more of you than I thought. Um, like most of us have, if we've got some kind of um, account online, we, we've, 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 we've had a little contract there. M- maybe just this week I might have sold a nail gun and bought a kayak and a bike seat. Maybe, yeah. I didn't swap them. <laughs> yeah, but I did, I did, just as you do, you know. And so I'm not judging. Um, but, you know, we, 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 there was a bit of a contract there. We agreed on a price. We exchanged details. We, you know, put some money in an account, and, and we waited. And then, hopefully, they meet their end of the contract, and they send you the goods, and it's okay. And, and you know, the world works on contracts. You know, you, you bought dinner the other night, you paid some money and the pizza came, right? There was a, there was a contractual agreement there. Um, the plumber fixed your toilet and you paid him some money. Or the hairdresser cut your hair and you paid them some money. The, the world runs on contracts, right? Contracts are a good thing because if, if they didn't happen, there'd be chaos, okay? Um, so, and occasionally they don't work. You know, maybe that meal was rubbish. And you're like, what? I paid for that? <laughs> really? Or, you know, your toilet starts overflowing again after the plumber fixed it, um, or you got that haircut, and really, you could have done better yourself. So, uh, but generally, it's good that, that contracts, uh, that's the way things work. Um, sometimes, though, I think our lives can come a bit too contractual. Like, rather, you know, it's okay in business terms, but sometimes we start to live contractually. We start, we start to kind of tally up things in our lives. So, well, I did this for them, for this friend, so then they should do this for me. Or it's not fair that I always pay for, you know, for that. Or I picked up the kids last night, so therefore it's my spouse's turn to do that. You know, sometimes there's maybe not a signed contract, but there's definitely a contract. There's a tit-for-tat kind of expectation, an unwritten rule that this is how things work, right? Is that just me? No, it's all of us, right? And, and if we're not careful, we can start to live our lives contractually. We begin to kind of just live by, oh, it's these, these are the fair things that have to happen in our lives. And, uh, and maybe we look the same outside, but if we just live contractually, we start to become very cold, very calculated, very cynical, and, 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 and essentially something begins to die and shrivel up on the inside of us. Because we're not just contracts. We're not pieces of paper. We're not just pawns in a chessboard. We are people, and we're designed for relationship. And relationship is the difference between covenant and contract. And that is what I want to really land on. If you get nothing else out of today is that we are called to live in relationship. And covenant is all about relationship. Covenant is central to the biblical story, as we'll find out, because relationship is, is central to the biblical story. God is a God of relationship. So it's actually 
you know, we get, it's where we get the, the terms for the Bible. So New Testament, Old Testament. Testament is just another term for covenant, another word for covenant. So it's the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Um, the Greek diatheke, if you're a Greek scholar, that word basically we translate as testament also means covenant. So if we go back into the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Hebrew word for covenant is berit. And it's used over 300 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot, if you think about it, 300 times. And it covers, we think of it, normally as Christians, we think of the covenant between God and His people. And that is, that is there, and it's the main use. But it also cover, covers relationship between people. So you have a covenant between people groups, like nation states. So in Ezekiel 17, 14, sorry, I haven't got slides up. Um, so you just have to trust me or look up your Bible. Ezekiel 17, 14 says, only by keeping her treaty with Babylon could Israel survive. Interesting, the word covenant there is translated treaty. Yeah, treaty. Yeah, yeah, you note that, treaty? Yeah, okay. So, so we have agreements, treaties, covenants between people. You can also have a covenant between individuals. So, so King David had a covenant with Jonathan. Um, you can read about that in 1 Samuel 18. But if we go back to the first covenant in the Bible, it's between God and his people. Um, and it's actually between God and Noah. So God tells Noah that he's going to flood the earth, but he says, I will establish my covenant with you. And that's the first First covenant. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see God um, and this idea of covenant. So he establishes what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. So that's between God and Abraham, surprisingly enough, in uh, Genesis 15 to 21. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you, uh, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the, in the sky and the, the sand on the seashore. And, and then that, that promise, that covenant is extended later on. Um, to the whole people of Israel. Then we have uh, the Davidic covenant. So that's that promise to King David and his lineage. It's going to go on forever. And eventually it does because Jesus is in that line. So there's, there's covenant throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, this idea of covenant is, is still there. But it's used far less. It's only like 10% of the time, 33 times in the New Testament. And it refers in the New Testament, only to that relationship between God and his people. And, and it refers, yeah, just, just to that relationship between God and humanity, and particularly how that covenant is renewed through the work and person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to unwrap today some key ideas around covenant, like what, what covenant... Um, what is important about covenant? Some key ideas of it. And because once we understand that, then I'll, I'll, I'll relate it to the Treaty of Waitangi, and then I'll relate it to our lives and land with how, how it affects us. Okay? So stay with me. Here we go. Number one, covenant is relationship making. The fundamental underlying idea of covenant is that it's all about forming and protecting relationships. So unlike a contract where a contract is about getting stuff done, covenant is about protecting a relationship. So it's not about the self-interest of either party. It's about the relationship between the two. Every time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about relationship. 
It's about relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Okay? Mayor and I, this past week on Wednesday, have been married 20 years. Woo! I know. I know. I was seven. Uh, Mayor was five. Yeah. I know. How could we look so young? Um, Yeah. How can we have a 16-year-old daughter? I don't know. Um, But, yeah. 20 years. We signed, and we we went back and watched our marriage video. Gosh. Uh, We signed a document, a marriage certificate on that day 20 years ago. But it wasn't a contract. It wasn't a contract. It wasn't like, you know, Mayor, if you agree to do the washing and empty the dishwasher and uh, do this, I will mow the lawns and I'll cook the meals. And if you don't do these things on this contract, then I won't do these things. Because how many of you know if, if it was a contract like that, we wouldn't still be married. <laughs> it would have fallen over a long time ago, right? Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And it's the same with our relationship with God. It's not it's not a contract as a covenant. The whole point of covenant is the relationship itself, not what you get out of it. So in the New Testament, in Christ, God's existing covenant relationship with his people, um, Israel, is it, through Christ is extended to all humanity. So, so in Jesus, we see God ultimately protecting that relationship He's like, man, I've got to, I've got to widen it. I've got to protect it, and I've, and so therefore, he sends his his son. And this is the ultimate act of of not self interest, because he gives up his beloved son so that we could have relationship, so that relationship can be protected and maintained. So the gospel is essentially the heart of covenant, because it's all about maintaining relationship between God and humanity. So that's the first and the most important point about this idea of covenant is it's all about relationship, making relationship. Number two, covenant is sacred, or you could say covenant is spiritual. So the agreements between God and, and people, obviously God is, you know, he's spiritual, so it's that spiritual. But even the agreements between people in the Old Testament, they're often done, you know, with in front of God explicitly or implicitly. So, so it's, there's always a spiritual element. Marriage, when we gave our vows, we did them before God, right? So there's a sacred element um, there. When Jesus participates in the, in, the, in the covenant relationship in the New Testament, he gives the Holy Spirit. So there's a, there's a spiritual element to this idea of covenant. Thirdly, covenant is forever. You can't annul or retract a covenant. It's not like you make a covenant and then you change your mind. You can't do that. A covenant is actually, it's, it's done. They're everlasting. God's covenant with Israel stands even though they were continually unfaithful. And even, even covenants between people, they, they persist. So when, when Jonathan made a covenant with David, he said, you know, it's between our houses. So it actually went on beyond David and Jonathan. So covenants are forever. In the New, in the New Testament, we, you know, we think, oh, the New Testament, the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, um, and we talk about them like they were different. No, it's actually one covenant. There's continuity there because a covenant stands forever. So the, the, it's just that the, the promise is fulfilled in Jesus, and it, and it looks different. Um, and that leads into my next point, but it, it stands forever. So covenant is forever. My fourth point is covenant can be renewed and adapted. Okay, so that's, that's how Jesus fits in there. Covenant, covenant 
it's forever, but it can change over time how it how it plays out, how it looks. So covenant can be renewed and adapted. So so God introduces the the covenant with Abraham, but then hundreds of years later, he kind of he tweaks it with Moses and he gives all the law and all these different things. But it's the same same promise to the people of Israel. And with Jesus, the covenant you know of the Old Testament is is fulfilled. It's but it's, it's kind of renewed and adapted as well because um, it looks different. Thankfully, it looks different under Jesus, right? Um, Jeremiah 31, 33 actually predicts it. So this is in the Old Testament looking forward. He says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So, so Jeremiah is even predicting the Holy Spirit coming and writing that covenant on their hearts. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the, the, the old covenant kind of changed into the new covenant in the way that it's observed, right? Because we no longer have to sacrifice animals in church. <laughs> it would get very messy if we were like, Killing pigeons and lambs up here, right? Okay, we'll be nearly as neat and tidy as it is. Uh, no more circumcision. Praise the Lord. Okay, there are good things that, that come from, from covenant being adapted and changing. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, all the guys breathe sigh of relief. And then, of course, yeah, Jesus says um, that, that all humanity, we can worship him in spirit and in truth. So, so there's, a, there's a sense that it's, it's changing with Jesus. Number five, I've only got, no, I've only got seven points actually. Number five, covenant involves mutual commitment and responsibility. Covenant involves mutual commitment and responsibility. Both parties have to commit to the relationship. Both parties have to take responsibility. Which makes sense, right? If I was gonna, you know, if I'd gone to Mary Maya and and said these heartfelt vows to her, which I did, and then she had said to me, "Yeah, <laughs> I guess maybe," like p- probably Pastor Paul would not have married us. <laughs> he would not be like, "Yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to happen." But you know, a lack of personal commitment will limit, limit a covenant relationship. And it's the same with responsibility. If May is the only one who's taking responsibility for our relationship, she's the only one who's working to make it happen, then how many of you know that it's not really going to work? We've both got to put in the mahi. We've both got to commit and we've both got to take responsibility. And it's the same in a covenant between you and God. God is, God is putting in the work, but for, us, for it to really work, we have to contribute as well we have to commit and we have to take responsibility for it as well and that's kind of the difference well here's the difference again between covenant and and contract is that in a contract if you don't hold up your end of the bargain if you don't pay then you don't get your pizza right but in a covenant if you don't pay, if you don't deliver, the covenant still stands. If you don't deliver on Trade Me, then you, your contract is broken and you get in trouble. See, a contract is conditional. Both parties have to meet their end of the bargain. But a covenant is different. 
Because remember, covenant is not about the exchange of goods. A covenant is about the relationship. So while there is mutual commitment and there is mutual responsibility, even if one person doesn't hold up the end of the bargain, the covenant still stands, which is crazy, but that's how a covenant works. And you see this time and time again with the people of Israel. And in the Old Testament, you just got to read the book of Hosea, which is like this allegory for, for God's relationship to Israel. Um, Hosea has to marry um, uh, Goma, a, um, a prostitute, and she just keeps cheating on him. And, he, um, and God says, well, yeah, this, is, this, is, this is me and Israel. You know, I, I'm always loving you, and you're just continually unfaithful and turning away from me. But God's covenant still stands. His promise, His love towards His people still stand. That is amazing. So for it to really work, we need to commit. But it's not contractual. It's not like, okay, I'll do this, then God will do that. Yes, we do this, God will do that. No, we don't do this, uh, God will still do that. (laughs) Because He's God. And His promise towards us stands. And that's my sixth point is covenant is unconditional. Covenant is unconditional. It has to be. Because as soon as you try to impose a condition on it, as soon as you try to keep something to account, coerce a response, whatever it is, there's no longer a covenant. There's a contract. So covenant relationship relies on each of the parties' character in choosing to protect the relationship instead of choosing their own self-interest. Let me say that again. Covenant relationship relies on each of the parties' character choosing to protect the relationship instead of their own self-interest. And that is so countercultural. Because how many, you know, I slip into this all the time. We look out for number one, right? We are so often about our own self-interest. But if we're to live as a people of covenant, actually, we need to put the relationship ahead of our own self interests because covenant is founded in grace jesus epitomizes this he provides he provides the way for our relationship to flourish but it's you know for it to really flourish it, it requires our response it requires us to participate it requires us to choose to be faithful and grateful and joyful participants in the relationship but we don't ever have to. <laughs> we, but we get to choose to. So covenant, it's a beautiful thing. It's unconditional. And finally, covenant is win-win. It's always mutually beneficial. Now you could argue, well, what does God get out of it? <laughs> like all he really gets from us is heartache. Because... <laughs> um, because, you know, we're just a bit of, or, or, or headache, because we're just often, you know, just whinging and moaning to him. But, <laughs> but actually, I think God, God enjoys our presence. He enjoys us. We, he, we actually give him joy, I hope. <laughs> we give him joy. But God doesn't need us. You know, he is, he, uh, you know he's, all, he's utterly self-sufficient in himself. So he doesn't need us. But there is a win-win in that relationship. Of course, we benefit from our relationship with God. We, we get relationship with Him. We get all the benefits of that. So covenant, in, a, in an ideal, in a covenant relationship, both parties win. 
both parties are, are benefiting from that. Okay, so there you go. There's some, some key points around covenant. Now, what about the Treaty of Waitangi? <laughs> Is the treaty a covenant or a contract? Well, straight out, I want to say that the treaty is not an, it's not an ancient biblical covenant. Like, it's not identical to that because it's a far more recent agreement made between, you know, different people in a different time, different culture, you know, different setting. So it's not exactly analogous. However, I want to suggest that the treaty, it's not a contract either. It is a covenant. It is a form of covenant because remember, the overarching aim of a covenant is to formalize and protect what? Relationship between two parties. And when you look at what was going on at the time, this is the heart of the Treaty of Waitangi. It was to protect the relationship between the British settlers and the Māori people. There were disputes arising between uh, the settlers in the Māori, there were some very unscrupulous characters like the Wakefield brothers, I don't know if you heard of them. They formed this thing called the New Zealand Company. Before they'd even been in, ever been to New Zealand, they'd formed the New Zealand Company. Uh, that's great. Uh, and they were basically on a, on a huge land grab. They swapped a few mustic, muskets for, for large swathes of land. They had almost grabbed most of the South Island, uh, Te Wai Punamu. Um, and so... The you know the, the um, Busby and who was um, kind of head of the British um, uh, colonials there at the time he he realised that something needed to be done so they started to write up a um, what was the treaty and uh, but the heart of of the, the treaty was to protect their relationship at that time there were there were two thousand settlers uh, British settlers and about a hundred thousand Maori at um, in New Zealand at the time so. Um, and there'd already, there'd already been um, a declaration of independence five years earlier um, for the Māori people. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to bore you with the history of it, but essentially um, English missionaries had brought the idea of, of um, kawanata or covenant to the Māori people um, many years before the treaty. So they, they knew this idea of biblical covenant. Um, and if you think about Te Ao Māori uh, mindset, relationship is, is right at the heart of it. Um, and so any agreement that they had would have been along those lines of, of, um, of relationship. And, and I could go through each of the seven ideas that I just shared with you around covenant, and we could apply them to the treaty. Um, it's about relationship making. So it is, it's about bringing two peoples together. Covenant is sacred. So Henry Williams, he's um, the missionary who translated the treaty from um, English to uh, Te Reo. He, he traveled the country uh, obtaining a lot of the signatures um, of the Māori chiefs, and he wrote that the Māori would become one people with the English in the suppression of wars and of every lawless act under one sovereign and one law, human and divine. So he had this idea of one people under God. There was a sacredness to it. Covenant is forever. That was my third point. So we can't just do away with it, David Seymour. <laughs> Sorry. Like it's, it, it's an ongoing promise. Fourthly, covenant can be renewed and adapted. And it has to be. It has to change with changing times. It has to adapt as society adapts. 
Fifthly, covenant involves mutual commitment and responsibility. It takes both parties to come and to make it work, just like a covenant relationship does. Covenant is unconditional. Now, this is the covenant between God and, uh, and, and us. So it, that, that's harder to apply between, between parties, but um, between people, because ultimately, you know, we will fail. So that's probably the one that, it's hardest to apply. But then covenant is, is win-win. Like, it's mutually beneficial to us both. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, this idea of covenant. So what does, that, what does that mean for us today? Like, how will we apply the idea of covenant to Treaty of Waitangi, to me today? Because a lot of you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not Māori, and I'm not the crown, I'm not government, so I just sit on the sidelines, right? Well, no. Because <laughs> if you're a descendant of European settlers here, then the crown was representing you, essentially. Um, so, you know, you're involved in this. Um, and even if you're not, if you just live in Aotearoa, this is our heritage. This is who we are as a people. Um, so we need to, yeah, we need to live as a people. Firstly, as Christians, we live as, as a people of covenant, right? Um, but I think we need to re- relate our idea of covenant to the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, but wider than that, I think we can relate it to our way of living. Um, and here's the thing. The way, the way Western society is organized, um, it's often we relate based on contract. We're molded to think kind of contractually. And I don't just mean with your dealings on Trade Me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, think about your kids, Right? They, they really work contractually. Like, it's not fair. Last night I had to tidy up. So it's not my turn tonight. I've never heard that from my kids or things like that, have I? No. Like, well, how come she gets ice cream? I didn't get any ice cream. I didn't get, you know. There's, there's, a, there's an automatic contract being written up in every child's mind about their siblings and what they get and what they didn't, you know. In our friendship, sometimes we think, oh, you know, what am I going to get out of this? We write a little contract and the ledger is not looking very good. Um, we sometimes do that. Um, or, you know, oh, I helped that person do that stuff last month. It's someone else's turn to help them out. Um, in, our, in our marriages and in, in our relationships, sometimes we, you know, we keep accounts. Okay, just me, sorry. I mean, you, but <laughs> sometimes, you know, we, we, we remember when people aren't holding up their end of the bargain. As I said, I, I listened, uh, I watched my wedding video um, the other day, and I listened to my wedding vows, and they're full on. There's something like laying down my life daily for you, and I was like, woof. Uh, <laughs> but that's at the heart of covenant, right? We act in love sacrificially, at times, uh, with, with, no, with no expectation of return. Like, that is, that's what we're called to do. Wow. Uh, but that's at the heart of covenant. We act in love. We act in love and we give of ourselves. Of course, hopefully the other person in that relationship is also acting in that way. Like, that's the beauty of covenant is that if you're both in covenant together, you're both acting in that way. And of course, it is returned. It is reciprocated. You do get something back. It's just the heart behind it is very different. 
So I want to give you some homework. I know, I know. Aren't you glad that I'm not your pastor? See, see, Jono's your regular pastor. See, I'm, I'm talking Jono up here. I'm making you look good. Because I, if I was your pastor, I'd be giving you homework every week. Um, we've, just been going, nah, we've just been going back to school this week, and it's interesting. Some, some teachers give homework, some don't. And uh, I won't tell you which one's my favorites. But, um, so here's your homework, church. <laughs> Number one. Because we've got, we've, got, we've got to apply this practically to our lives. Otherwise, it's just me being a talking head, telling you this about this weird idea of covenant. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was interesting. Does it apply to my life? I don't know. Number one, do something covenantally. What does that mean? What I mean is, here we go, do something just for the sake of relationship. Do something to improve your relationship with someone. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your workmate. Maybe it's a friend, but move outside that kind of contract framework where you do something because you're going to get something else in return, or there is an expectation that you do that thing. Maybe do it secretly or anonymously, but maybe it's something you do that's not easily returned, but do it for the sake of protecting and strengthening a relationship, just for that reason. Do something for the sake of relationship, because that is living under covenant. That's my I've got lots of homework for you, sorry. That's number one. Number two, <laughs> show compassion towards the other. I say the other, the other is, is different for all of us. The other is whoever is not in your in-group, and your in-group is your, your friends, your family, your workmates, your perhaps your race or even your Christian uh, circle, they aren't you. They are, they, are something, they are somehow different from who you would normally be with. Because covenant brings together and holds people together who are different. Your other can be different in, in different ways, um, whether that's race or religion or socioeconomic background, whatever. You just need to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Um, I've got an example from the, the treaty around this. Henry Williams, the guy who um, translated the treaty, um, Karu Fire was his name, old four eyes, because he had glasses. Uh, he was a CMS missionary, and he loved the Māori people. And at the time, many of the missionaries were kind of set on s- just civilizing Māori, and, and he actually refocused the mission, and he, um, he learned... Um, Maori language and culture, and and then by doing that, he began to teach the life of Christ to Maori in their own language, and he became he became hugely loved and respected and trusted by the Maori people, and um, and that's how he came to translate um, to Tiriti, and he was he was actually betrayed by the crown um, when he felt incredibly betrayed by the crown when they didn't honour subsequently the treaty. And uh, and he was also maliciously maligned by the by the Wakefield brothers and also by um, the new governor Gray. He was falsely accused of owning too much land, which actually, in um, hindsight, it, it was proved that he actually paid twice as much as what he should have paid. Um, so he'd actually been very generous. But um, it was all a smokescreen to silence his prophetic voice, um, which was basically for justice for the Maori people. And he was eventually unduly dismissed from the Christ, uh, Church Missionary Society by Governor Gray and Bishop Selwyn, who was the head of the Anglican Church at the time. Um, and he was devastated by this. 
And I can't help think, wow, that's quite a Christ-like position. <laughs> to have those in authority um, dismiss you and, uh, and for showing compassion for the other, for loving those who are different to yourself and sacrificing on behalf of them. Man, he follows in the steps of Jesus. He gives us, us an example to follow. So I think, yeah, somehow show compassion. I don't know if, you know, that might not, you might not have an opportunity this week, but, but look for chances to show compassion to those who are different to you. And if you want to relate this to the treaty, when you're thinking about the treaty, think about who's the other in it for you. So if you're Māori, then those of non-Māori descent are the other. And if you are if you're non-Māori, then the tangata whenua, the, the Māori people, they are the other for you. So in that respect, seek to protect and strengthen that relationship. Because that is acting with the spirit of covenant. And if you can act to protect that relationship, then I think we are being good Christians. I think we are acting in the spirit of covenant. In the spirit, the original spirit of God and in the spirit of the treaty as well. We're acting in love. So show compassion to the other. And my, my third one, and, and I'll get the band up at this point. My third, third homework, renew your covenant relationship with God. In a moment, we're going to take communion, and essentially we're going to do just that. We're going to renew that covenant relationship with God by taking communion. But I just want you this week just to take a moment just to sit down in God's presence and Remind yourself of his grace towards you. Because that's the beauty of this covenant relationship that I pointed out before is that his arms are always open. He is the father of the prodigal who's always welcoming us back, saying, come and begin again. Come and let's restore this relationship again. Whatever's broken, I can fix it again. Let's, you know, be forgiven again. So just t take a moment this week just to sit in his presence, find someplace peaceful and let him remind you of his goodness, of his covenant relationship to you, of his covenant love for you that is unconditional. That's pretty easy homework, actually. That's good homework. <laughs> That's something we should be doing anyway. Why don't you stand with me? In a moment, we're going to take communion. But just before that, I want to speak to those of you who haven't entered into a covenant relationship with God. Um, I want to say today is your day. One, one more thing about covenant that I didn't mention is that it is exclusive. It's God and His people. And they weren't to, they weren't to worship anyone else. They couldn't have any other idols or false gods. And Jesus, when he came in the new covenant, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father, and it's an exclusive relationship through the Son, Jesus Christ. So through his death on the cross, we have forgiveness for sin. And through his resurrection, he conquered sin and death. And we can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. But 
we have to open our hearts to begin that relationship. Just as I was saying, it's, it's not a contract, but it's a covenant. God is always there with an open door, but we have to, we have to choose to step through that door. We have to choose to, to come into that relationship. He's always standing there ready, but we need to choose to come towards Him. So just, if you'd close your eyes in this moment, open your hearts. And if you're here this morning, you think, yeah, actually I need to begin this relationship with God. Whether it's for the first time or, or it's renewing of that relationship. And now's your moment. I just ask you to raise your hand. I'll see it. And you put it down and then we'll pray together. Is there anybody here who wants to do that? I'll give you a few seconds. Okay, I'm not seeing any hands, so you can open your eyes and look up. If you did think, yeah, no, actually that is me, or you're a little bit scared to put your hands up, that's cool. Just come and have a chat with me or Jono after service. We'd love to, uh, to talk you through that. So we're going to take communion, communion in a sec. I love communion because it represents relationship. When you share a meal with someone, it's not contractual. <laughs> you can't, it can't be, it's not a contract, it is a covenant. Co- communion is beautiful because we are, we are essentially sharing, albeit a very small meal with God and our church family. So in a very tangible way, we're, we're renewing that covenant relationship again with, with God and with one another. We're saying, yes, God, I choose you and eating your body and, and drinking your blood, I choose an intimate relationship with you. You can't get much more intimate than eating someone's body and eat, drinking their blood. Don't think about that too hard. It's not my image. It's God's. But it is it's crazy, right? <laughs> when we say, And we're saying to those around us as well, you know, I'm walking this, this journey of faith alongside you. I'm choosing to covenant with you in this journey. So I'm going to encourage you to gather in groups. I don't care how big or small your group is. A group is bigger than one, though. So it has to be at least two people. Um, but gather with those around you. And, uh, yeah, take communion together. Share. Maybe pray together. And I'll close in prayer in a, in a moment. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 